Support for NPR and the following message come from Ally. While you're working hard, is your money being lazy? Make your money work harder than ever with Ally's new smart savings tools. For all things money, you deserve an Ally. Visit ally.com. Ally Bank member FDIC. I'm Linda Holmes. I'm here in the studio with Kat Chow from Code Switch. Hi, Kat. Hey. And we're here to remind you to support public radio. You can do it at donate.npr.org slash happy and support Pop Culture Happy Hour. You guys also have a donate link uh, at Code Switch, Kat. Yes, that's donate.npr.org slash code switch, C-O-D-E switch. Yes, and when you support us at those links, not only do you support Kat's show, my show, give a little to both, you know? Yeah. Spread the love. Share it. We're not competing with Kat the way we are with Sam Sanders. (laughs) We're a family. Absolutely. So just divide it up. Give some over here, over there. You'll support our shows. And you'll also support everything that comes out of public radio. That means your local station. That means our news shows. Kat, you worked at a local station for a while. I did. KERA in Dallas. You can also support them by donating to them. Just help out your local member station or either of our shows. Well, exactly. And of course, if you don't have a local member station that you listen to on a daily basis, will help you find it, even if it's not the way that you get your public radio. Yep. And also, you can pick a station that you're loyal to, even if it's not where you live. Yeah, and just pick a city. <laughs> and support through there. And you can find Kat's link, which is donate.npr.org slash codeswitch, or our link, which is donate.npr.org slash happy. Spread it around. Thank you so much. And here is Pop Culture Happy Hour. the end of the year and that makes it the perfect time for us to talk about the things we loved the most in 2018. We're mixing up some things you may know about with some you may not, so get ready for a whole lot of recommending. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. Today we're giving you 15 of our favorite things from 2018. Here with me and Stephen in the studio is Glenn Weldon of NPR's Arts Desk. Hi Glenn. Hey Linda. It's just the three of us today. It's just Team PCHH. No sharing. No sharing, (laughs) uh, except lots of sharing. We're each going to give you five things that we really loved in 2018. We're going to go around, and I'm going to start with Stephen. Stephen, I hear... You have one that might appeal to everyone. Well, yeah, I thought I'd start with a a large kind of overarching theme, maybe the story of the year in pop culture, which is that yesterday's underdogs are today's juggernauts. Uh, Looking specifically and particularly at movies, the top grossing movie of 2018 was Black Panther. The movie was an absolute feast of black excellence on Mm -hmm. the screen. It made $700 million. Mm -hmm. You have Crazy Rich Asians with an Asian and Asian American cast uh, made more than $170 million. Both of those movies are part of the year-end awards conversations. Not only is this story of diversity being lavishly rewarded, but that the next bunch of years means that people who make movies are going to be trying to imitate that success. You're going to see so many more movies with black casts, with Asian casts, with queer casts. These movies keep doing well. The other example that I wanted to bring up is Book Club, a movie starring Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, and Mary Steenburgen. Cost $10 million to make. This is a movie about women over 60. Cost $10 million worldwide, made nearly 90. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing over and over again is not just, oh, people need to go see these movies so there will be more movies like this. This has now happened. Mm-hmm. This has been happening over and over again. We've ca- talked about this a million times with movies like Girls Trip. Like the box office comes out and we're all so surprised. 
There's no way to be surprised anymore. This is so good for storytelling. We exactly. Ke- we keep seeing new stories told. And getting told on a platform where more people can see them. There have always been a ton of movies being made by right. Asian directors and Asian American directors and writers, but they've not always gotten the platform that Crazy Rich Asians got. I think, you know, I agree with you completely, not only because of the storytelling element that you're talking about, but also because from a strictly pragmatic perspective, when things like this happen. It also causes stars and writers and people like that to be built and developed and to get power. So the people who write these screenplays and also, especially if you look at the casts of these films, what this has done for Constance Wu, what this has done for Winston Duke, what this has done for Denai Guerrera, who is a fantastic and and well-known and accomplished actress and playwright, but being in a film like this changes the axis. We talked about this a little bit with Hamilton, that different people attain power and that in itself has value. So I agree with you about this one. Yeah, you're also seeing all these these wonderful stars getting more and more and more opportunities, kind of like you said, but I mean, like Aquafina was hosting Saturday Night Live. So you're going to see more and more opportunities and more and more stories being told. It's the it's what I'm most excited about in pop culture in 2018. Yeah. And there's no way to look at these films and not recognize that it's wonderful that they're diverse, that they have diverse casts. It's wonderful that they have made a lot of money and spread a lot of power around, but they're also excellent. Right. Um, and you see those those accomplishments, I think, having ripples for the future, and that's great. All right. So what I wanted to talk about uh, also has that combination of an excellent thing that I think also opened up some conversations about representation, and that's Nanette, the Hannah Gadsby special on Netflix. It is her special in which she kind of, she talks a lot about trauma. We did an episode about this. You can hear more about it. I really loved that episode. I also loved the conversation that followed it, not the kind of uninteresting conversation about what is stand-up comedy, which I don't care. If you don't want to call it stand-up comedy, that's fine. But the idea of thinking through trauma and storytelling, we had such a good conversation with Kamel Nanjiani about telling your story, not telling your story, being honest in your comedy. Gadsby has remained on the scene and is kind of a figure who has persisted in American pop culture for the rest of the year. There's a relatively recent conversation that The Guardian published between her and Roxane Gay. Mm -hmm. Hannah Gadsby went to Roxane Gay's house and they sat around and talked. And it's a wonderful thing that I encourage you to seek out. They are so alike in some ways that you wouldn't necessarily think of off the bat, but they have these commonalities that they found that really resonate. I was so happy to see that come out this year. So uh, Nanette would Mm -hmm. be one of mine. Excellent. That's great. All right. So Glenn, uh, what do you have to start us off? Well, there is a theme that will emerge of my five picks, but I'm going to start with the Canadian sitcom Schitt's Creek, which is on pop here in America, which I remind you, is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It started out great, but it's only gotten better. And uh, perhaps not coincidentally, there is now a queer romance at the center of the show. And I'm not just talking about my love for Catherine O'Hara's Moira, although it is real (laughs) and it is tattooed across my heart. Uh, But it's between Dan Levy's character, David, and uh, Noah Reed's character, Patrick. And there's a moment in season four, episode 12, when Patrick gets up to perform in front of a crowd. He's performing uh, a cover of Simply the Best by Tina Turner, a crowd that includes the David character, who is very sardonic, very closed off, very undemonstrative. At the beginning of that scene, David and Moira uh, are standing together, and they are the two of the least touchy-feely characters on the show. 
And you feel like, I know what this is going to be. It's going to be one of those scenes where a big fiasco happens and these two characters are going to kind of react in that kind of conspiratorial way. Mm -hmm. Instead, when he starts singing, it goes for a few seconds and then there's a moment. Moira reaches out a hand to touch David's arm as if to say, oh, wait, no, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I call you when I need you, my heart's on fire. You come to me, wild and wired. You come to me, and give me everything I need. Give me a lifetime of promises and a world of dreams. Speak the language of love like you know what it means. It's just a, a signal to us viewers that we're, we're all watching the same thing happen. We're seeing what you're seeing. And that moment is a signal to me, Glenn Weldon, sitting in his living room that, no, 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 wait, this is, this is real. And it's unforgettable, all the more so because it's so unexpected. Mm-hmm. So that's Shit's Creek. Wonderful. Nice. Thank you very much, Glenn. Stephen, what's your next one? There's nothing I love in art more than making the incredibly specific feel totally universal. There is a scene in one of my very favorite movies of the year, Eighth Grade, in which uh, Elsie Fisher plays a 13-year-old girl entering a pool party. And Bo Burnham, the, the young director of the film, shoots the scene in this long tracking shot where Elsie Fisher is walking through this pool party wearing a one-piece bathing suit. And she's shot so that you see just the back of her shoulders. And you're following her through this pool party. And watching her shoulders, you understand everything that is going on in this girl's world. You understand all of that doubt and dread and fear and insecurity and hoping to be validated and worrying that you won't be and wondering if anyone will talk to you. All of this is swirling in the way Elsie Fisher carries her shoulders in a scene where she's shot from behind in this wonderful, detailed, specific, empathetic, I think just glorious movie. One of my favorite films of the year. It so gets what it's like to be 13 and it also gets what it's like to be in the orbit of someone who is 13. I really hope that eighth grade gets that kind of year-end Oscars love that it so richly deserves. Or Indie Spirits. Or Independent Spirit Awards. Uh I know that's where it's going, but Uh it is a glorious movie. I really think every parent should check it out, but I also think everyone who has ever felt 13 Mm -hmm. uh, should should see it. Eighth grade, and particularly that scene in the pool party. Because it's so brilliant. If you want to underscore a character's vulnerability, you make him 13. And you put them in a bathing suit. Yeah. It's just what, what, what that is. Instant empathy right there. Thank you, Stephen. I also have a pick that involves a girl who's 13, and that is the film Leave No Trace. Mm-hmm. Now, Leave No Trace is from Deborah Granick, who directed Winter's Bone in mm. 2010, which made a star and Oscar nominee out of Jennifer Lawrence. And Jennifer Lawrence in that film, it was kind of a story about a young woman who was being raised in a very kind of rural outdoor environment. Um, this is too. And but it's extremely different because where Jennifer Lawrence's family and Winter's Bone is sort of a very tough yeah. situation. This is that way, too. But the, the girl whose name is Tom and she's also 13, she lives with her father and they live in the woods. He's played by Ben Foster. And then they're kind of discovered, and it's discovered that you're not really allowed to take your 13-year-old and live in the woods. He's a veteran. He has PTSD. And they are sort of forced to try to readjust to living 
in a kind of a community-supported, social services-dictated kind of way. It's an incredibly sensitive film, quiet, kind and understanding to the positions of everyone in it. And there is a kind of film that gets at how the most painful things in life involve everybody being right. And Mm -hmm. that is the kind of film that this is. And I admired it enormously. I just caught up with it. Uh, So Leave No Trace, available to stream for rent on your streaming platforms. And I encourage you to seek it out. So that's mine. Uh, Glenn, what do you have next? Uh, I've talked about this before, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But on the season 13 finale of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Rob McElhenney and Kylie Shea perform a dance number set to Veruo by Sigur Rós, which is kind of breathtaking. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about Rob McElhenney's torso, although it is a good torso to have. It's beautiful. It's gorgeously shot. I didn't talk about that before. With the lighting and the camera work and there's water on the stage and the sheer physicality of it comes through in how it sounds. I think Vinny clipped a moment when Shay hurls herself at McElhinney and you can hear it. Uh, I can't I can't <laughs> underscore like when you're watching it, it's just so raw and searching and sad and exhilarating and once again Unexpected. We think we know what's going to happen. It's set up to be another fiasco. Like when these characters perform anything, it's always a fiasco. And it's just something else entirely. Yeah. And I have to say, as someone who only occasionally has watched It's Always Sunny, I saw this episode and completely was charmed and moved by it anyway. So even if you're not a regular viewer, seek it out. Check it out. You'll get it. Mm -hmm. You'll you'll understand what's happening. (laughs) You don't have to watch 13 seasons. No, no, you don't. Uh, Okay, Stephen, what do you have? One of the consensus albums of the year is Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet. That's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way you make me feel. If you miss Prince, this is probably the best way to go outside of tapping into the Prince archives to get a Prince fix. She had a friendship with Prince and was was greatly inspired by him for this record. But it's accompanied by uh, these gorgeous videos that really hammer home just what a bold and audacious collection of kind of joyous jams and queer anthems this album is. It was interesting to me to watch these videos and hear that record and also watch the videos and hear the record of the day debut album by Tierra Wack. Now, when we had Rodney Carmichael on this show back in March for our South by Southwest episode, he was singing the praises of Tierra Wack, who went on to have a huge year, as Rodney kind of predicted. And she made this album called Wack World. It is 15 minutes long, 15 songs, 60 seconds each. I was lost till I found my way. You can never say I love you two in times a day. I had no GPS. And it is accompanied by a 15 and a half or so minute video that you can watch on YouTube for free with all 15 of those songs accompanied by these beautiful and weird and audacious and arty videos. Both of those albums are so good and so interesting and just shot through with idea after idea after idea. It's wonderful to see them accompanied by these videos that hammer so much of that home. We're seeing more and more in the realm of visual albums that are using the platform of YouTube in particular or Vimeo or whatever your video platform of choice is 
to enhance what you're getting in an album. And you know, you saw this obviously like with Beyonce's Lemonade, where it is a great album, but it is also a great collection of videos. And so you're seeing more and more artists taking full advantage of the media at their disposal. Um, you know, and so to have it happen with Janelle Monet, who's kind of a juggernaut at this point, she's nominated for album of the year. This album was all over all the critics, you know, top 10 lists and whatnot, but also seeing it with this young artist, Tierra Wack, who's coming up still showing everybody who she is and how much she has to show the world. It's just very exciting. It's just an exciting development in music. I keep coming back to kind of the, this is a thing I'm excited about about the future of pop culture. This is a thing I'm excited about about the future of music is just seeing artists find ways to make it bigger and bolder and more multi-dimensional and multi-platform. Very nice. Thank you very much, Stephen. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with a bunch more favorites, so don't go away. The following message comes from our sponsor, Chipotle. April Wilson, hog farmer for a Chipotle pork supplier, reflects on how her family has seen the number of family farms decreasing. My dad talks about getting on the bus and there were 15 kids that got on the bus within four miles and now there's maybe five kids that get on the bus in that same four miles. Like it's just amazing to see the changes to learn more about how Chipotle is working to reinvigorate farming, go to chipotle.com slash farmers. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. We are running down some of our favorite things from 2018. The next on my list is the Netflix adaptation of Jenny Han's YA novel, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. We did an episode about it. If you have hung out on Twitter very much in 2018, there's a good chance that someone you know has gone on and on about how much they loved it. We did a whole episode about it, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But it is a romantic comedy. It is a teen movie. It introduced a lot of people both to Lana Condor, who played the female lead, and to Noah Centineo, who played the male lead. They are already set up very predictably to do the film of the next book in this. Uh, there are three in this series. I am very happy to see not only a really lovely, warm romantic comedy, but a really uncynical and charming teen movie that is available to a lot of people through Netflix. You don't have to go to a lot of trouble. You don't have to go out and see it with friends in a theater. You can stay at home to all the boys I've loved before. Very charming and available to you on Netflix. And I was very, very happy about it. Nice. Okay, uh, next up, Glenn, what do you bring us? We're halfway through the fourth and final season as we tape this of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And the tone of the show has fundamentally changed, I think. Uh, it's more muted. It's less antic. Because now it's grappling with the mental illness of the main character, Rebecca, that drove the plot, basically, the first two seasons. But the songs are still great, and uh, here in the home stretch, the show is smartly shining the spotlight on some of its featured players, some of the background folks in the cast, some of whom have been around from the beginning. Episode three of season four gave the character of Jim, played by the excellently named Burl Mosley. Burl Mosley. <laughs> a glorified extra on the show, in the show's law firm scenes, basically, but he got a moment to shine, and he shone. When it comes to deciding You've never met a lawyer who's happy It's a guaranteed soul destroyer Don't be a lawyer 
I can't sing the praises of that enough. The Arsenio blue suit, the the hair, the synth, the dance moves. Look, I rate the songs on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend every year, and I don't want to tip my hand. We're only halfway through, but that song is number one with a bullet based solely on the following lyric. There are many other professions that won't turn you into Jeff Sessions. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. What do you? What would you call it? What are they going for there? It's that an kind of womp womp. It's a very oh, there's a little almost like a New Jack swing. Vibe. Yes, yeah, that's, that's what, what I, I think it is. That's what I think. It made me think of like Bel Biv DeVoe. When you, yeah, when you hear that, don't don't yeah. don't 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 womp yes. womp 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 womp. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a good scene, and I say that as someone who used to be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> all right, thank you, Glenn. Next up, Stephen, what do you have? Well, it is not often that you can say that a concert experience actually changes your life. You'll hear people say, oh, this album changed my life. This book changed my life. This movie changed my life. Going to this concert actually quantifiably changed my life. The Max Richter Orchestra in 2015 made a box set album called Sleep. It is an eight-hour experience designed to map over what your brain is doing while you sleep. So you're supposed to listen to it while you are going through a, optimistically speaking, eight-hour night's sleep. They decided to stage this in a series of concerts in which a sponsoring mattress company provided about 150 mattresses that were laid out across the stage. And then the audience members each got their own mattress. And the idea is you're supposed to sleep along with this show and experience it live. So I went in March to see this when I was at South by Southwest and uh, had a mattress next to my girlfriend's mattress. And we kind of tried to sleep. And I kept waking up kind of over and over and over again through the night and kind of disturbing other people with my sputtering, snoring, the disaster that is my, I don't know, sinuses or whatever when I sleep. And in the lobby of this concert hall, they had, you know, the sponsoring mattress set up and next to the mattress was a CPAP machine. And I went over and walked over, gave it a look, was looking at it. I'm like, I think I need one of these. And I kept thinking about the experience, not only the intense emotional experience of seeing this concert, which it is one of the best concerts I've ever seen. I was incredibly moved by it. The music is so beautiful. But I went home and got a sleep study and was diagnosed with severe sleep apnea. I was waking up hundreds of times a night because I stopped breathing over and over and over again. And if you or anyone you love is experiencing this sort of thing, constantly waking up, tired all the time, goes to sleep-based concerts and disturbs everybody with your snoring, (laughs) I cannot encourage you enough to go in and get that sleep study done because this has radically changed really my entire life, but especially how I spend roughly one quarter to one third of it. So First of all, if you if the idea of an eight-hour album that you play while you sleep is appealing to you, I strongly encourage you to get that sleep box set. It's on streaming services now. It's really beautiful. The Max Richter Orchestra Sleep. See the concert. If it happens to be coming through your town, it's not a cheap ticket, but it is worth every penny. And for God's sake, if you think you might have sleep apnea, get it looked at. It absolutely changed my life. Fantastic. Good. What a ride that was. Words, <laughs> uh, uh, news you can use. What a, what a ride. So my next pick is the film A Simple Favor. Oh, yeah. Which I loved. I was so surprised by yep. how much I enjoyed it. This is a film where Anna Kendrick plays a kind of a good girl mom and Blake Lively plays, to put it mildly, a kind of bad girl mom. And they meet, you know, through their kids. And there's a whole thing that involves the Blake Lively 
lovely character's husband and is somebody doing something to somebody else. And it's it's sort of a um, crazy melodramatic thriller, <laughs> but it's also a comedy. It's directed by Paul Feig, who has directed a ton of great comedies. And even if you have liked Blake Lively in other things, I think there is a Blake Lively at the height of her powers <laughs> in this film that maybe she's never really gotten to do before. I really liked that movie. It's one (laughs) that really stuck with me. It's called A Simple Favor. I feel like it was both under-marketed and mismarketed. So if it skidded by you, go back and check it out. I think it's funny and weird and interesting and stylish. Oh, the clothes in it. Lively's clothes. I mean, everybody's look in it is amazing. Uh, some of our favorite funny people, Aparnanan Charla is in it. Andrew Reynolds is in it. So much fun. Check it out. A simple favor. A big I, favorite of mine. I can't think of a much better movie to stream on a random weekend afternoon. Oh, it's yep. so much fun. I'm going to watch it again for sure really Perfect soon. Perfect for planes, too. Yeah. Great, great plane movie. Yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stream it again for sure real soon. So, Glenn, what do you have up next? Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars 3 was... <laughs> Uneven. Uh, newsflash, RuPaul's seasons are uneven, but it ended on a moment of pure joy. Vinny, hit me once. So what's going on there is the four remaining drag queens, Trixie Mattel, Shangela, Bibi Zahara Benet, and Trixie Davenport, each wrote and performed a verse of the remix of the RuPaul song Kitty Girl, choreographed by Tadric Hall, and they did it live to tape. So it looked like one continuous shot as the camera followed them around the drag race backstage. So much fun. If you need a mood lifter at any point, this is going to provide it to you. Also, uh, hot shirtless uh, backup dancers. Nice. (laughs) Thank you, Glenn. Uh, Steven, what do you got? To me, nothing captured the possibilities and the general state of the pop cultural internet quite like a video in which the band Weezer covered the song Africa by Toto. Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. Already that song came into being because the internet asked Weezer to cover Africa by Toto. Weezer obliged and suddenly had one of the biggest hits of its career. So they made a video in which they swap out the singer Rivers Cuomo for Weird Al Yankovic, who then performs in front of Weezer, kind of lip syncs in front of Weezer in a manner that parodies the 1994 Weezer video Undone the Sweater Song. Mm -hmm. So you have this kind of ironic but maybe not ironic cover of an iconic but maybe not iconic song in which they swap out the singer with Weird Al Yankovic who parodies a different video. The way I described it when I wrote about it is it's like the internet kind of folding itself up into a burrito and consuming itself. (laughs) It is a reminder that culturally speaking, the internet will give you whatever you want. (laughs) 
that's not good. <laughs> so I, I choose to view that particular glass as yeah. 20% full instead of 80% <laughs> empty. But I like the fact that if you ask for it, there's a good chance you're going to get it. The meta is strong. In it's that one. true. <laughs> yep. It's true. Okay, so my next pick is the, uh, this is another Netflix series. It is Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Mm-hmm. There are four episodes. They are Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat. Uh, this is based on the book by Samin Nosrat, and the show is her both doing a certain amount of cooking, but also visiting people who both cook and provide ingredients that are very, very high end. She talks about the love with which people make things like olive oil and soy sauce and different kinds of salt and how you harvest salt from seaweed and all that kind of stuff. It is a beautiful show that is wonderful to watch. It will make you want to bake focaccia. I'll tell you that. And also, it is really her reshaping the idea of what it means to be a host of a show like this. There have been other wonderful food travel hosts. We lost Anthony Bourdain this year, but I think he was wonderful at this, but had a certain swagger sensibility that went with all of that and a history that was sort of in that vein. She is a much kind of more humble presence. She goes and she's just excited. She eats really good Parmesan cheese and bursts into tears. (laughs) She has this wonderful authoritative but loving and accepting I go here to find out why other people are the best at making certain things and then I help you understand how to translate those things. It's a wonderful book. It is a wonderful series and I think that uh, it's one of those things where you think, ah, this will be emulated and that's a good thing, which I I think is one of the themes of this episode Mm -hmm. for us. This will be emulated and that will be good. And so Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, the book and Netflix series. Yeah, the book is called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. The Netflix series is called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, but it should be called Fat, Salt, Acid, Heat because that's the order that Netflix puts them in. They flipped the episodes (laughs) to put the fat episode first. It is so annoying. But... That means they wanted to start people off watching the olive oil stuff, which, makes is, sense to me, which but still. is fantastic. But it is true that the order of the episodes is fat, salt, acid, heat. Anyway, Glenn, <laughs> yep. what is your next uh, and final pick? All right. I have talked and written about one moment more than any other in 2018. So there's no <laughs> surprise here. Okay, this we is about recognize how sophisticated that. the dancing is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I know, I know. But the production of Dancing Queen from Mamma Mia 2, colon, here we go again. Look, there's a moment when the boats turn into the harbor and everybody's dancing and that song is playing. And I am not a complicated person, but that moment sends a cleansing fire through my soul. It, 2018 is punishing. That moment is a respite. That moment is ideally celebrated, you know, in a crowded theater with a bunch of uh, women and, and gay men who are day drunk on blush wine. But if you can't do that, you can't go back in time to do that, watching it at any time, keeping it on your desktop just to call it up if you're having a bad day. For and, example. For example. <laughs> and that is the theme to my five picks, like the power of music, especially if it rises from unexpected sources or does something you don't think it's going to do to penetrate the desiccated husk that is my heart and get through your defenses and make you feel a damn thing. That was the kind of the thing that unified those picks for me. 
sneaked up on me. Yeah. Sneaked up on me, Glenn. Uh-huh. Your your love of a musical number. Yep. <laughs> numbers. Appreciate it so much. Musical numbers. Numbers, I know. Uh-huh. Exactly. All right. Well, those are our 15 favorites. We're going to want to hear about your favorite things from this year. So find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. This is a wonderful time to just unload all the stuff you love this year. We cannot wait to hear about it. And when we come back, oh, we're not quite done loving stuff yet. Yeah. When we come back, it's going to be time to talk about what's making us happy this week, so come right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu. With the largest streaming library full of your favorite reality TV shows, Hulu is the home for reality TV's biggest fans. Catch all the drama, all the tears, all the heartbreak, all the competition. Because Hulu has your reality TV. Start your free trial today. Learn more at Hulu.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Pocket Casts. Whether you're new to Pocket Casts or have been a fan for years, as an NPR listener, they're offering you a free three-month trial of Pocket Casts Plus, giving you all of the great features of their free mobile app, plus more. Listen to the podcasts you love and discover even more when you redeem your trial at pocketcasts.com NPR. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Stephen Thompson, what's making you happy this week? Traditionally, every year, All Songs Considered puts together a radio play that doubles as a grand holiday special. Uh, sometimes they're shot into space. Sometimes they're they're just going off on a journey to discover the meaning of Christmas or whatever. It's an excuse to play a lot of holiday music. Last year, they did not get a chance to do it, and I was heartbroken. It's a radio play. It's fun. It's silly. It's goofy. They stopped doing it last year, and this year, by the time this episode drops, it will be back. Uh, it is a very, very, very silly episode with uh, guest appearances by some, I don't know if I want to spoil them. I will spoil one of them. William Shatner. What? I will spoil, <laughs> I will, who is, you will be shocked to hear, a complete goofball. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll spoil one more. Mickey Dolenz Holy from crap. the Monkees. It is very fun and lighthearted and silly. And as always, I get to make a, a cameo right at the end that I'm very excited about. One other very quick thing. Every year I put together a Spotify playlist with my favorite songs of the year. I'm doing that again. We will throw a link up on our newsletter. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week? So on the day this episode drops, listeners to the August-respected program called All Things Considered will have to spend a few minutes listening to me yammering about the history of Aquaman. Yeah. Now, uh, unless there's, you know, real news. But uh, if that happens... This is the universe coming together in a way. I have an Aquaman tattoo. I collect Aquaman memorabilia. My nickname on the swim team was Aquaman. I thought because they thought I was fast, but it turns out because I sank to the bottom of the pool every time I dove in. Became a marine biologist briefly because I loved Aquaman so much. So who else could yammer at millions of NPR listeners than me about the history of the swift and powerful monarch of the ocean. Putting that thing together made me so damn happy, uh, and I I think it's going to be fun. So uh, on or about December 21st, on All Things Considered, uh, me yammering about Aquaman. Fantastic. (laughs) And I assume this has something to do with the upcoming film. Oh, possibly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Making me happy this week. Now, I have not always been a Billy on the Street person. I have not always been a Billy Eichner person. I find him a little bit intense. Uh, if you you if you've never watched Billy on the Street, it consists of him running around with a microphone, a corded microphone, which is one of my favorite yeah. things about it. Yeah. I don't even know who has the thing with the cord. I assume the sound or camera person, but he runs around with a microphone on the streets of New York, usually with a guest, running up to people and screaming in their faces and asking them questions.
questions. And there are people who have told me that they feel profound anxiety watching him do mm-hmm. this to people. I am one of them. However, for some reason, since he uh, ceased putting these in the form of a half hour show and they have more existed as YouTube clips, I have really come to love them because that to me is exactly the right dose. Mm. And just recently he released a five minute clip of him running around the streets of New York with Lin-Manuel Miranda yelling at people. And of course, the Billy on the street thing is always he wants people to be excited about whoever he's with or he starts yelling at them about whoever he's with. He took John Oliver one time to yell, do gay people care about John Oliver? And so he would run up to people and say, do you care about John Oliver? (laughs) And so he has Lin-Manuel Miranda, perhaps the gamest man in show business. And runs up to various people, some of whom, of course, are incredibly excited because it's Lin-Manuel Miranda, some of whom don't have any idea who that is. And that variety is wonderful. I will tell you, I don't think it's a spoiler because it doesn't really land until you hear it, that at one point he tells someone, uh, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's like if Pitbull went to Vassar, (laughs) (laughs) which which is super brilliant. Uh So I encourage you, if you need five minutes of pure relief of stress, Seek out, surprisingly enough, Billy Eichner with Lin-Manuel Miranda doing Billy on the Street. It is wonderful. And that is what is making me happy this week. Before we go, I do want to mention we have a newsletter that we have recently launched. It includes original writing. It includes recommendations for your weekend. It wraps up what's making us happy this week. It gives you some of the links that you will need to fully appreciate everything from the show. And you can subscribe at npr.org slash newsletter, And it'll come to you every Friday. It is from us to you with our greatest affection. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at Linda Holmes. You can find Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can find Glenn at G.H. Weldon. Our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy. Our producer, Vincent Acavino, who's been bringing the clips all through this episode at V. Acavino. Our producer, Emeritus and Music Director, Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif, K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides our in and out music, which you're tapping your foot to right now. So thanks to both of you guys for being here. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. Sign up for the newsletter. Donate to your local public radio station at donate.npr.org happy. And we will see you right back here next week. We're here to remind you that there is one place where you can support your local station. You can support public radio. You can support Pop Culture Happy Hour and everything we do at NPR by going to donate.npr.org happy. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club, where every bottle tells a story and NPR shows become wines, like Weekend Edition Cabernet Sauvignon. Available to adults 21 years or older. Learn more at nprwineclub.org.